in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Wow. We need that reminder of God's goodness, his victory. And uh, I don't know what you've been through this week, but uh, I'm so glad you're here. I think God is, is gracious in his drawing of us to himself. And uh, I just, I feel so privileged, so amazed that I get to be part of this church with you worshiping our God together. So thanks for being here. Thanks, Darcy. All right. Expectations. Do you guys have any expectations? <laughs> Life is full of them, and we all have them, whether we can uh, say them or not. But uh, when we get disappointed, we really, we kind of realize there's an expectation behind it. I, I like meeting with couples who are getting ready to get married and kind of talk about preparing for marriage. And, um, you know, those of us who have been married know that uh, it's a little different sometimes than we expect. And some of you who have kids remember those days before kids, and then they come and you realize, oh, this is, this is good, but it's, it's different <laughs> than I expected, right? So there's so many areas of life like that. And Jesus, um, on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, came talking about blessing. And aren't you glad we serve a good God who desires to bless? <laughs> I am so thankful for that, that God came to bless. His desire is to bring blessing to this world, to our lives. And that's why Jesus began to declare blessing. And uh, that's what he's about. But he wants us to know what the kingdom of God is like. So would you stand uh, with me? And uh, I know some of you have been memorizing. Thank you. Uh, some of you have told me that you're memorizing. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just so excited for, for so many of you that are doing that. Um, some have pointed out correctly that all these statements of blessing are connected to each other. And that's, that's a great observation. So it's, it's wonderful to stand, even though we're doing this verse by verse each Sunday, it's good to read the whole thing. So I would like to read uh, verses 1 through 10 with you guys this morning. So would you read with me? Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to be in verse 10 this morning after nine verses of helping us see the reality of the kingdom and this blessed life with Jesus where God is present uh, with us. Jesus, remember, had come announcing repent, meaning change your thinking, change the way you approach this. But he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, it's at hand, it's breaking out. And so Jesus is declaring, I am the blessing, I am the fulfillment, and I am bringing about the kingdom of God, the will, the action, the rule, the reign of God. And he's doing it 
in our world and he's doing it in our lives right now. Not just someday, but today is the day of salvation. And so God is declaring what he's going to do. And as we've gone through these verses, we've realized that the, the message of the kingdom is very different and the blessed life in Jesus is very different from what uh, the world says is blessed. And that's why we've looked at nine different verses up till now where Jesus is declaring blessing and, and it's found in God and what that looks like. And now in verse 10, he's kind of aligning our expectations for the reality that this is going to be a struggle. It's not necessarily going to be easy. And uh, I, my dad used to say when I was growing up, he said a lot of times as, as Christians, when we say, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to become a disciple of Jesus, and we kind of have this expectation, this thinking that we're going to get on a cruise liner and we're going to go to the Caribbean and we're just going to lay back and relax and enjoy the ride, right? And he said a lot of times we get on that ship and we look around and we realize this is a battleship. This is a battleship. And so Jesus is helping us see that there's going to be a struggle in this. And that's why he says, blessed are the persecuted. But he says, blessed are the persecuted. So how is God going to use the circumstances in our lives to help us see the truth and the reality of who he is and that we can experience satisfaction and fulfillment even in the battle, even in the struggle? Well, here's the good news. I... I know all of us have had those in our lives, and maybe some of you are here sitting this morning saying, I'm, I'm going through that right now. I'm going through a struggle. I'm going through a battle. Here's the good news. Jesus knows what it's like. He's been there. He's been in the battle. And so if you flip back uh, a, a, a page in your Bible, chapter 4, we're told that Jesus goes into a wilderness, which literally is a, is a desert wilderness, but it also symbolically and it's an allegory and an analogy in the Bible to hardship, difficulty, trial, struggle. And so we're told in chapter 4, verse 1, that Jesus was led by the Spirit. Now, let's pause there because here's the good news. God is with us in the battle and the struggle. And Jesus experienced that with the Spirit of God with him. And the Spirit of God is with us. We sang this morning, even in the fire, even in the seas and the floods, God is there. So, so God, God is not surprised. And, and we shouldn't be surprised either. He's with us. So he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now I want you to see something here because I think this helps explain what Jesus is talking about in verse 10 of the Sermon on the Mount. Because if you notice on the Sermon on the Mount after verse 10, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted. And then verse 11, he says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of things about you. So you might say, why is he just repeating himself over and over? Well, I think he's talking about two different aspects of struggle and battle. And, and this is important. And so in chapter 4, I think we see Jesus facing the internal battle within himself. And this is what we're going to be focusing on today in verse 10, is the internal struggle and battle that we have. Next week, we're going to be looking at that external battle, that struggle that sometimes happens as we embrace this blessed life with God. 
And so as we think about this internal struggle, I want you to notice a couple things. As Jesus is tempted in the desert, what's, who's his battle with? It's with the devil, okay? The devil comes to him and he tempts him and he tells him, he says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And so this is a truth battle. This is a truth battle. We have been referring back to Romans chapter 1 where God talks about the human condition of exchanging the truth for a lie. And so why is this important? Because in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted, why are they persecuted? Because of righteousness. That's the key. Righteousness is the key. This is a battle about righteousness. And we're going to be looking at inside of each of our hearts, inside of each of our lives. Because if you look at the temptation of the devil against Jesus, it had to do with desire. Want. He was hungry. <laughs> and, and that refers to much more than just eating bread. Uh, we have a many desires. We have many wants, many desires in our lives. And so what, what is God after? He's after our hearts and desiring righteousness. So what is righteousness? We have to understand this. Because what this is referring to is God's righteousness. In fact, it's described in the previous verses, verses 3 through 9, where we're told about the righteousness of the kingdom. This is the value system of God's righteousness, God's ways. And I like to define righteousness as what is good, right, and true, according to God. So God has defined what is good, right, and true. And so what does he say? He says, poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. This is the way of God's righteousness. And it's very different <laughs> from the world's ways. It's very different from what the world says will bring about good things or make you satisfied or happy or fulfilled. And so because God has revealed his righteousness and our natural bent is not towards that because of what the Bible refers to as our sinful condition, our, our reality has been distorted. It's like we're, we're looking through clouded glasses and so we can't see things the way God sees them. We see them in a distorted, bent way. And because of this condition, we like to define our own righteousness, which is very different from God's righteousness. And so we like to come up with what we think is good, right, and true. And that can be different from God's definition. And a lot of times we base this on our own perceptions, our own experience, our own desires, our own feelings. Um, my wife and I like to laugh because uh, I tell her she's normal and I like to think I'm normal, right? We have our own normal <laughs> and what we think should be normal, right? And so we have these perceptions, we have these desires, we have these feelings about what we think is right, good, and true. And that's different than what God says. So people come up with lots of different things and, and none of us are immune from this. We all do this. Um, a few, about a year ago or so, I came across a news article that kind of grabbed my attention and it was about a man in uh, the Netherlands. And uh, I think it was somewhere in Europe, but I think it was the Netherlands. And 
he, uh, he wanted to go online and find dates, and he was 69 years old, but he was finding it hard to attract dates on this website being 69, so he said, you know what? I actually feel like I'm 49, and so he didn't just pause with that. He said, I'm going to take this to court, and I'm going to see if I can get society to recognize what I feel like. So he says, I want to be 49 instead of 69. So he brought this into the courts. <laughs> and, and we can laugh about that, and that feels extreme, but that is a, a, a great image of the human condition. You know, as a culture, as a world, we like to say what, what, we like to try to find what we think is good and right and true by looking within. We hear this phrase all the time, look within yourself. And the Bible says the reality is our heart the human heart is deceptive above all else. It will deceive us. It will lead us astray. In fact, if, if I just look within, all I find is confusion and despair. And so we're told that the only way we can really experience who we are is to look to our maker, our creator, the one who designed us and made us. And so he is the one who gives us identity. He is the one who gives us purpose. He is the one who gives us meaning and direction for life. And so we do this all the time. I know... Uh, our culture tells us all the time to do what we feel, what we think is right. In fact, we've changed laws based on people's perceptions of what is good, right, and true apart from God. And we do this in two ways, both by what we think is right um, on a societal level, but also personally we do this. We think we can change our, our spouses. We think we can change our siblings or our parents or boss. We think we can somehow gain meaning or purpose out of our, our Facebook community or Instagram accounts. But the reality is when we do this, what do we find? Misery, right? We find despair. We don't find meaning or satisfaction. And this is the human condition. And this is the struggle. This is the the persecution that I think Jesus is talking about because it has to be about righteousness. God's righteousness. What does God say is right and true versus what we think? This is the exchanging the truth for a lie because these things were never meant to fulfill us. If we go back to what the temptation of Jesus was, the battle Jesus had with the devil, what does the devil tempt him about? Stones. And he says, turn him to bread. Now, I've never tried to eat a stone, but it doesn't sound real appetizing. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it's going gonna, it's gonna to meet needs, right? But isn't that what we do? Isn't that what the devil tries to get us to do? And maybe we don't literally do this with stones, but replace stones with money, with power, or fame or acceptance by others, or how we feel, or how we look, and we realize that we're trying to produce something life-giving out of something that was never meant to give us life. You see how the devil flips that in us? <laughs> how he tempts us with that? And Jesus, how does he respond? He said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. <laughs> the truth, righteousness, the reality that for true fulfillment, for true life, we can only find it in God. 
God is the one who sustains us. He is the one that provides for us. He is the one that makes life worth living. And so Jesus faced the lie with the truth. This is the battle. And the reality of the invitation of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is to say, God satisfies. He's enough. He will fill you. He will, he will complete you in every way. He will allow you to truly be who he made you to be. So do we believe that truth? Have we staked our lives on his righteousness? Now Jesus tells us this isn't going to be easy. <laughs> this is going to be a struggle. This is persecution. I believe this is an internal battle for the heart of every man, woman, and child. In fact, the whole Bible story is about this battle because God from the very beginning made men and women to live in communion and relationship with Him. But the devil came into the world to deceive and to lie and to destroy. And so that's what he's been doing. And so how do we think about persecution is important. And this is gonna helpfully shape how we think about these next two Sundays and how we think about the battles in our life. Here's the, here's the, here's the deal. Here's what God is revealing to us. We have to know our enemy. We have to know our enemy because the Bible says our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. Now here's what happens. Many times when we're going through a hard time, a wilderness time, a struggle, a conflict, what do we immediately do? We begin to point our finger at others and say, it's, they're the reason, they're the enemy. But the Bible tells us that we're never to think of other people as the enemies. In fact, Jesus told just the opposite. He talked about the lost. He talked about seeking and saving the lost. He talked about those who are sick. And so Jesus, when he's on the cross, because here at the beginning of, of the gospel, we're told Jesus did battle with the devil, but then later people are what? Insulting him. They're spitting on him. They're calling him all kinds of names and they're nailed him to a cross. But what does Jesus say? He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. You see that? Jesus didn't see those people as enemies. <laughs> he, he saw through the, the deception of that moment and he loved those people. In fact, we're told later in the Sermon on the Mount that what God wants to do in us, the kind of love that he's putting in our hearts is the kind of love that loves even our enemies. So the, the battle is never against people. People are not the enemies. In fact, God's about saving people, redeeming people. And so we gotta be careful. We have to be careful of how we think about people because what Satan wants us to do is he wants us to demonize other people and to begin to attack and, and think of them as the ones that are the problem. But the real enemy, the real enemy, the Bible tells us, is the flesh. It's our own bent towards what is wrong. That's own, that our own bent, our own distorted reality. The devil and the world system. We have three enemies. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not your parent. <laughs> It's not your neighbor or the politician or the other uh, uh, political party. It's, it's not a coworker, that's right. It's not another religion. The enemy, the Bible tells us, is very clearly three things. It's the devil, it's our own flesh, and it's the world system. 
when we realize this, this changes how we think about persecution and how we go through those struggles in our lives. I want you to notice something, and this is really important. God is with us in this. this you're not alone in those struggles. I can, I can guarantee there are some of you sitting here going through incredibly difficult, hard things. Here's what you need to know. God is with you. He has won the battle. <laughs> he is victorious. And that's why Jesus came in the world. He said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. He's creating a new reality. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's about transformation. This new reality of within ourselves that one day this whole world will be transformed and be made new and right. But here's what we got to remember. Before Jesus went into the battle in the wilderness, in chapter 3, verse 17, after Jesus was baptized, a voice came from heaven. And this is what it said. This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. A voice came from heaven and said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. I believe some of you need to hear this morning that in Christ you have a new identity. <laughs> you are called children of God. In fact, the Bible says Jesus made it possible for us to be children of God, to be heirs of all that God is and all that God has done. When Jesus came into this world, it says he was full of grace and truth. So he speaks the truth, right? He confronts us with the truth of who he is and what he's called us to be. But he's also full of grace. He's with us. He's sustaining us. He's fighting on our behalf. And he knows who the enemy is and he's helping us see who the real enemy is. And he's gonna help us and he's gonna defeat the enemy and he's gonna give us a new life. I'm gonna read a verse I was thinking about this morning. We're gonna celebrate communion here. But I want you to be encouraged by this. I want you to know who you are in Jesus, what Jesus makes available for you because he loves you and he's pleased with you because of what Christ has done. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. The persecution, the battles, the struggles will end one day. <laughs> there is an end in sight. The victory is coming, but you have to know who you are. You have to know who God has called you to be. He's given you a new identity. That's why we celebrate communion, because it reminds us of what Jesus has made possible. It reminds us that his sacrifice was for a purpose, and it was to set us free. It was to forgive us. It was to make us new, and it was to win the battle in our hearts. So I'm going to invite this worship team to come up. I want to invite the servers. And as they pass out the bread and the cup, I want you just to hold on to it. And then we're going to take it all together in a minute.